Good morning to, uh, if you have your Bible with you, just go ahead and, and get it out. I hope you have it with you. We're going to be turning to the book, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible, we will have the verses on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, if you find one of these near you, that's our, our gift to you. And uh, so just take that and that's our gift. We want everyone to have their own copy of God's Word. So there you go. We're in a series that we've entitled Real Life. And what we're doing in this sermon series is that we're exploring eight real-life topics. Eight real-life topics, investigating what it looks like to be a real-life Christian, like an everyday, real-life, in the actual world, living it out. What does it mean to be a real person with real faith, trusting in a real God, living in a real world with real issues and real problems and real temptations? And so two weeks ago when we started the series, we took a look at what it means to be a real-life Christian single Last week, we discussed what it means to be a real-life Christian husband. So I wonder what's on the docket for, for today. Uh, part of the discussion last week that we, that we discussed is that men and women, and this is what the Bible teaches, men and women, husbands and wives, are made in the image of God. We are both alike, made in the image and the likeness of God. We are co-image bearers. And what that means is that we are equals. We have equal dignity before God. We have equal status in God's eyes. We, we have equality in every way, dignity, status. One is not better than the other. A man is not superior to a woman. A woman is not superior to the man. We are both equals in God's eyes. But here's the trick. Equality in status does not mean sameness. Equality does not equate sameness. He made us male and female. He made us different. And male and female are not interchangeable, despite what the world says. Like, there's this, this modern, current movement out in the world that gender doesn't matter, and it's really kind of old-school, outdated thoughts. There was, like, a news report I was watching this past week. There's actually now, on college campuses, some 22 types of gender. In, like in one report, I saw a guy say, I'm a unicorn. That's my, that's my gender. Like, really? That's what he said. You are out of your mind. That is not a gender. That's a mystical rainbow animal of some sort. Like, I don't know. Like, where are they? I don't know. But it's not a gender. And, and I mean, it's clear. I mean, God said I made them male and female. Like, there's two. Those are the options, male or female. And there's, like, big differences between men and women. Men, typically bigger, faster, stronger, typically. Women have a much higher pain tolerance than men. If it was up to men to have children, the population of the world would be like six. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I'm not doing it. Like, no, I'm just not. And I don't mean six billion. I mean six total. That's it. And, and the differences between men and women go far beyond, like, physical differences. God wired us differently. We think differently. We communicate differently. We process our emotions differently. And, and it's funny, if you're around little children, children instinctively know that there is a difference between men and women at a very, very early age. Like my son Emmett, he just, he just turned three. And this happened a couple of months ago. Edie and Ellie, his two older sisters, are watching a show on TV. And he comes up to me, he says, Daddy, they're watching a girl show. And he grabbed me by the hand to take me upstairs to my office. Let's go watch a boy show. And he wanted to watch Monster Trucks. 
I, didn't, I actually didn't teach him that. Like he instinctively, no, my three-year-old, two-year-old boy knows that there's a difference between girls and guys. As confused as the world may be, he knows that there is a difference between male and female. And this is just an illustration I used long ago uh, to just try to explain slightly the difference between men and women. Men are like classic rock. Women are like classical music. Think about classic rock. It's a very typical standard song. 4-4 timing, 4-4. It's basic. It's predictable. You know where it's going. You know what's coming next. There's a steady drum beat and there are lyrics, and you listen to the lyrics of classic rock. It is clear what he is saying. The lyrics are literal. If he's singing about something, he's singing about that something. Classical music, not so much. Up, then down. Big and loud, then soft and quiet. Tempo shifts. Strings come in out of nowhere. Then there's like a brass section. There's woodwinds. They're all together, and they drop out. And then there's no lyrics. There's no lyrics. Like, you have to figure out what the song's about. Like, instinctively, you have to know what the author intended. What is this song about? Well, if you really knew music, you would know what it was. No, I don't. Like, that is the difference between, a difference between men and women. They're not the same. God created us with gender, with a uniqueness. And the point is that in our uniqueness, we fulfill different roles on earth. We fulfill complementary roles on earth so that husband and wife can actually augment one another and offset each other's strengths and weaknesses so that together we can do more together than we may be able to do alone or apart or not yet married. So we, last week we discussed the role of the husband. Today we're discussing the role of the wife. What does it mean to be a real-life Christian wife. If you're single, I ask you not to tune out. If you're a male and you're single, technically this text of the Bible is written to you. This specific text of the Bible is written to single guys. It was written by King Lemuel, but he's writing the words of his mother. King Lemuel's mothers to his son, giving him advice about the kind of woman that he should be looking to marry. So, guys, like, listen to mama is, what, is what's happening here. Um, if you're a single gal, this is the kind of woman you should aspire to be if God should call you to be married one day. And husbands in the room, I pray that this text will enlighten you and me how to pray for our wife. Okay? So with that, let's get, in, let's get into this. What does it mean to be a real-life Christian wife? We're going to read from verse 10 all the way to 31 together. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for, the, for her household and portions for her maidens. 
She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her, all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the picture of the perfect woman. This woman is the ideal wife. She is a great mom. She is a wonderful housekeeper, homemaker, She's a real estate mogul. She's a land developer. She is kind and gracious. She's godly. She's humble and she's strong. She virtually doesn't sleep. She wakes up while it's still night and she goes to bed late. This is Wonder Woman. This is Wonder Woman. She gets it done. She knocks it out. She gets it done. And I suspect that it would be really easy for a woman to read this either for the first time or for the 10,000th time and be tempted to be discouraged by the picture that's painted here of the perfect woman. Or is it just me? Like, is it, is it, does it seem like a profound standard that if you're a gal in the room this morning, you're saying, is this chick for real? Like, is she for real? She is throwing, she's ruining the curve for the rest of us. Is she for real? I, I can never, I can never aspire to be that, that woman. And let me offer this, that if you're thinking that, that may not be the healthy way of interpreting or approaching this text of the Bible, the point of the book of Proverbs, in fact, the, the point of the entire Bible is to point us to Christ and to the wisdom that can only be found in, in him. The picture in Proverbs 31 is of a woman who perfectly displays the wisdom of God in her womanhood. She perfectly displays the wisdom of God in her womanhood, and that's a good thing. That is not something that should cause anyone to be discouraged. 
But I would say, in fact, encourage. When we turn in the Bible to the New Testament and you see Jesus, you read that he is the perfect man who fully embodied perfectly the wisdom of God as a man. And as followers of Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't look at Jesus and we don't read about Jesus and get discouraged by his perfection. If anything, it encourages us. It inspires us. Those of us who are his followers, we see the perfection of Jesus and, and we, we say, I want to be like him more and more. I want to be Christ-like. I want to follow his example. I want to be holy for he is holy. It compels us. It motivates us. It inspires us to imitate him for his glory and for our good. So ladies, I would ask that you would approach Proverbs 31 in the same way. That this is a picture of what perfect godly wisdom looks like within uh, womanhood. And that the same way we look to Jesus and see his perfection and desire to be like him, that you would look at the woman in Proverbs 31 and that you would be inspired to be like this, this woman. So my prayer for you specifically this morning is that you be encouraged and that you be inspired, that you would be compelled, compelled, to embody the godliness of God, the wisdom of God in your womanhood. So with that, let's start unpacking this text a little bit. What does it mean to be a real-life Christian wife? It means this. You're valuable. You are valuable. Look at verse 10. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The word excellent there means outstanding. It means good. So this good, excellent, outstanding wife, she is good. She is valuable. She is precious. She is a rare treasure. She is a priceless treasure, a rare treasure. She is far greater than all the diamonds and all the pearls in the world. This excellent wife is of greater value than all the riches of the world, than anything that this world has to offer. A real life Christian wife is valuable. You're a priceless treasure. And what is it that makes her so valuable? Number one, she worships God. She worships God. Look at the very end. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Fear, the fear of the Lord is Old Testament language, Old Testament code for worshiping God. It was used often in the Old Testament. Those who fear the Lord are worshipers of God. In fact, the, the book of Proverbs begins that way. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That, that worshiping God is to have this fear of him. And fear is way more than respect. It's way more than having a respect for God. It's somewhere in between reverence and sheer naked terror. It's somewhere in between there. Between reverence and terror. Before, before God is possessing a deep, profound reverence toward almighty, all-holy God. It is being in awe, 
before God's sacredness. It's, just, it's a posture of humility before the sacredness and the power of God on high. You know, for, for those in the room that are actual followers of Jesus, you know that there's nothing to fear. Romans chapter 1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you have placed your faith in the gospel, you've trusted in Jesus, you believe in, in him, his, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the eternal life that he offers you need not fear ever coming before God. You need not fear any wrath or any judgment or any condemnation whatsoever. In fact, the Bible says that you who are followers of Jesus, you get to draw near to God. You get to draw near to God and you get to approach him, approach the throne of grace with boldness. That's what scripture says. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But let us not forget that it is a throne. It is a throne upon which the God of all glory sits and presides over all the affairs of heaven and earth. We approach him with awe and with humility and with meekness, with a posture of reverence before almighty, all holy God on high. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We, we sing. We sing a celebration. We sing with joy. Or at least that's our desire on Sunday mornings. We want people to clap. We want people to smile. We want people to, to adore God, to lift their voices, lift their hands, lift their countenance, their heads toward God and celebrate him joyfully and loudly with gladness. He is our joy. He's a good God and he's our joy. And we delight in knowing him. And we delight in knowing him as our loving father, as our gracious savior. But we esteem him. We exalt him we extol him we revere him we fall down before him may there be no mistake that if jesus himself who is god descended into our midst right now and appeared we would not say hey buddy we would be undone we would fall face down before him who existed before time, before him who created all things, before him who is judge of all. He is the self-existing God. And we fear him with a healthy, good, right, proper fear. What makes an excellent wife is that she worships the excellent God. She worships the excellent God. She lives in awe of God's power and his majesty. She basks in the light of his excellence. She basks in the light of God's kindness. She's overwhelmed by the very love of God that is given to her, poured out on her account through Jesus Christ. She's overcome and overwhelmed by the gospel that Jesus would come and humble himself, serve us, die on the cross for you ladies. And that so, that so overwhelms you, that so 
overtakes your life, that now Jesus is the very center of your life. Your faith is rooted in him. Your identity is not what you do for a living. It is not what you wear. It's not your education. It's not your socioeconomic status. Your identity is Jesus and his love and his sacrifice. You worship God. You love him. You prioritize him. You stand upon him. You serve God. A real life Christian wife is valuable because she worships God daily in her life. So ladies, are you worshiping God in your daily life? Is he the center upon which your life revolves? Is your identity in him and in him alone? What makes a real-life Christian wife so valuable? Number two, she helps her husband. Look at verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. This wife serves her husband as a helper. And I get it, I know it, we live in a world and in a culture and in a society where the notion of a wife as a helper is mocked and disparated, and, it, and some actually go so far as to say that is offensive. It is offensive. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, God created Eve, the first woman, specifically to be a helper to her husband. That's where it all began. He made her to be a helper, and we have a world that's just offended by the very thought. And, and I offer and I put forward that the reason that the world and culture and society is so rebellious against this notion is because they completely misunderstood the beauty and the goodness and the rightness of what it means to be a helper. They've misunderstood it. The world sees being a helper as inferior. It's, it's some inferior status to be a helper. Let me ask you, if you need help and I help you, does that make me less? Does that make me less in any way? No. Consider this, that the very word helper in Genesis chapter 2 is a word that God himself applies to himself over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. God says, I am your helper. He is our ever-present help. Is there anything inferior about God? No. No. Do you understand that when God says, I'm your helper, that that is a title? That's one of God's personal titles for himself. And what he's doing, ladies, he's like, I'm sharing this title uniquely with you. I'm sharing this title that belongs to me. I'm bestowing it upon you. Ladies, when you're called to be a wife, you're called to be your husband's helper. You're called into a life of love. It's what it is. An act, a continuous act of love. And what is love? It is putting the interests of another ahead of our own. In this case, specifically, putting the interests of your husband ahead of your own acting for his good and for the glory, for the glory of God. A real life Christian wife helps her husband and ladies look beside you. If your husband is sitting beside you, we need help. Look at us. Look at us. We need help. We need your help. 
The excellent wife does good to and for her husband. She's devoted to her husband's success. She enables his furtherance, his promotion in the world. Look look at verse 25. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In, In ancient times, the city gates were the place of prominence. This is where the business got conducted. This is where the the leaders of the town got together and they had their town business and business contracts and and all kinds of stuff took place there. Court proceedings. This was the place of authority in the town. And this husband in Proverbs 31, he has been promoted. He has been furthered in life because he's married to a good, outstanding, excellent wife who helps him. He excels because she is excellent. He flourishes because of her. He benefits because of her. Like in, in my life, I, I am shocked. I don't know what life was like prior to being married. Because I stay busy now. I was like, wow, like how, what, I had to do all my laundry and all my cooking. And, and I had to go to every bank do every bank deal and do all these things and and here comes my wife and God gives her to her and she helps she does all kinds of stuff it's not just the the home side all other kinds of stuff and it releases me to be able to do other things I mean you think the sermons are bad now man it'd be awful for real if if I didn't have Jamie releasing and freeing my time to try to to do better and better and good and whatever Whatever success I enjoy, or whatever promotion I enjoy, whatever furtherance I enjoy, is explicitly because of my excellent wife. I am better because of her. I am furthered because of her. And because this excellent wife does good for her husband, it tells us in verse 11 that his heart trusts her. Understand this, that everywhere in the Bible, it is condemned to trust anyone or anything other than God. And in Proverbs 31, it is celebrated. It is celebrated that this man would trust that he would have full confidence in his wife um, in every aspect of his life. She is valuable. She's precious. Ladies, there is nothing, nothing, nothing more valuable to a husband than a trustworthy wife that does him good and works for his good and does him no harm. How good it is to know that our our wife is on our side and pulling in the same direction, reading off of the same sheet music. Like how wonderful it is that, that, that she's not working against me, but she's kind of following following my lead. I I know that she's not going to go out and squander the family budget on a shopping spree because we're on the same page. We have the same goals. She follows my lead. But Rick, you don't understand. My, My husband is far, far from a good leader. And to that, ladies, I say, I know. I know. You're married to a sinner. So is he, by the way. But you're married to a sinner and he's hard to love. Makes it sometimes impossible to love. 
He's hard to respect, sometimes very difficult to respect him, let alone follow his lead. But know that regardless of your husband's shortcomings, God has called you to be his helper. Your helping him has nothing to do with how good your husband is. It has everything to do with how good God is. For an infinite, all-wise, all-good, all-loving God has given you as a precious and valuable gift to your husband to help him. A real-life Christian wife is valuable because she helps her husband who desperately needs her help. Are you helping, ladies? Are you furthering him? Are you promoting him? Are you enabling him? Is he flourishing because of you as opposed to in spite of you? Are you helping? What makes a real-life Christian wife so valuable? Number three, she works willingly. She works willingly. The picture in Proverbs 31 is a picture of like an overachiever. Like this is a busy bee, a total busy bee. She's a worker. It tells us in the text that she does not eat the bread of idleness. To put it in modern terms, she's not sitting on a couch eating bonbons. I mean, this, this woman gets it done. She knots it out. She gets it done. Look at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax. She seeks wool and flax. She seeks resources. She's resourceful. She plans. She prepares. She's thoughtful. She's thinking about tomorrow and the next day and the next week. She's getting what is needed for the home, for the house, for a job that needs to be done. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it and plants a vineyard. Real estate developer. 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She's an entrepreneur. She's making money. Verse 19, and it's high quality stuff. It's good stuff that people want to buy. It's not cheap stuff. And she stays up all night making it. Stays up all night making it. This, she's industrious. She's an entrepreneur. She's a go-getter. And this does not mean, ladies, that you have to work outside the home. That's not what this means. This just means about being active, doing the right things, like being busy, using whatever skill, talents you can, right? It's just about being busy, not about being idle, about being resourceful and industrious and everything. Uh, but not only is this woman busy, not only is she busy, she does all that she does willingly. She's not just busy for the sake of being busy. It's not that just she's a workaholic. She does it willingly. Verse 13 says that she works with what kind of hands? Willing hands. She works with willing hands. She has a servant's heart. She has a servant's heart. She does what she does, not under compulsion, not because she has to, but because she wants to. There's no grumbling, no complaining. There's actually joy in her busyness, in her work, in her activity. And why? Why is there joy? Why is, it, why is she doing it so willingly? Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household. The reason she sacrifices is for the good of her family. 
for her husband and for, and for her children. Look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She rises while it is yet night. Is there anything more difficult than sacrificing sleep? Not really. It's sacrifice. It's love. To get up early, to go to bed late, to sacrifice sleep, it's, it's love. It's hard to get up early, but this excellent wife, she does, so, she does so willingly because she loves her family. She's not doing it out of some sense of self-fulfillment and self-gratification. She's doing it out of love for her household. She uses her time, her talents, her gifts her experience, her education. She adds innovation to it. She adds intelligence to it. And voila, her family is better off because of her. The excellent wife is unselfish in her giving, in her living, in her sacrificing. Her life is poured out as a continuous act of love. Her life is characterized by unselfish sacrifice. A real-life Christian wife is valuable because she works willingly. She has a servant's heart for the glory of God, for the good of her husband, for the good of her family. So ladies, do you have a willing heart? My sisters in Christ in the crowd, are you working willingly with joy for the love of your household? What makes a real-life Christian wife so valuable? Number four, she is clothed with true beauty. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Verse 25 says, strength and dignity are her clothing. The excellent wife is attractive the right way. She's attractive in the right ways. Her beauty is not an external beauty. Her beauty is an internal beauty. Her beauty is rooted in Christ-like character, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, integrity, modesty, humility. External physical appearance is vain is what the text says. Vain here means fleeting or passing. It, it fades away. It doesn't last forever if it's ever there to begin with, right? It just, it, it, it flees. And ultimately, it's insignificant. So ladies, I, I propose this, that maybe there's a better way of living other than following or trying to follow the airbrush fantasy advice of Cosmo and Marie Claire. There is a beauty that those magazines know nothing of. And that is being adorned with the character of Jesus. That is true beauty. First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be hidden, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable, eternal, non-ending beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, is what? Very precious, valuable. And what this text says, it does not mean that you can't get your hair did. does not mean that at all. What it means is that true beauty, 
Real beauty is that which is internal and comes from the inside out. It's from being, com- being conformed to the very image of God. And I'm going to balance that out with the, the other side. It does not mean that the outside does not matter at all. Verse 22, look at it. I think it's the second part of it. It says, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her clothing, what she wears on the outside, is fine linen and purple. Back in the day, that was the attire of royalty. That is what royalty, that's how they dressed back in the day. Now, husbands, I'm not saying that the wives need to go out and buy prom dresses. So just, you know, budget's not going to take a hit. It, ladies, it doesn't mean you go out to the fancy clothing stores and, and buy, like, long-flowing long gowns. It, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you have to wear expensive clothes at all. What this represents is something so profound and wonderful. The moment a person trusts in the gospel and they give their life, their heart over to Christ, they're adopted into God's family. They become children of God. What that means is that you become a co-heir with Jesus in the kingdom of God. You are a co-heir with Jesus in the kingdom of God. What that means is that you are a princess in God's kingdom. You, ladies, are royalty. You're royalty. That in that moment of salvation, when you place your faith in Jesus, your sin, your grave clothes are removed, and Jesus gives you a brand new attire. In, in Galatians chapter 3, 26, it actually says that you have put on Christ. He becomes something new that dresses us. We're clothed in his righteousness and his sinlessness and his godliness. And so, sisters and ladies, I ask you that if that is true of you, if your heart, if your soul is clothed with the wisdom and the goodness and the godliness of God, then the outside should reflect that as well. Just like the lady in the text, she, was, she dressed like royalty because on the inside she's royalty. Likewise, what we wear on the outside does, in fact, matter. I want to be very careful here and not go too far and overstep. But I do believe that in the present culture that we live in, that there is a necessity to speak into certain things. And for instance, uh, how ladies dress. Ladies, dress in a manner that is becoming of Jesus. Be tasteful in what you wear and in how you wear it. Be wise in what you wear. The truth is, that men, all of us, struggle with our eyes. So help your brothers in Christ by watching how you wear to not be a stumbling block to the men around you. Dress in a way that honors God. Dress in a way that honors your husband. You know, I can't tell you how often Jamie will put something on and she'll come up to me and she's like, it's just too tight. And uh, sometimes it is. Hold on. But in that moment, Jamie's husband, the guy, is like, what's up, girl? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, boy. You know? 
but that's right, I'm her husband. And so she asked me that to honor me because she doesn't want to go out and get that response or elicit that response from other men. And she honors me because she knows that I don't want her eliciting that response from other men. Be wise and be, be tasteful. You know, so practical advice. I got this from Jamie. Just because it zips doesn't mean it fits. Just because, the world, just because the world is wearing it does not mean that you need to follow suit. And let me be careful also. I'm no one, the Bible, not me, not God himself, would tell you that you need to wear frumpy clothing, some kind of like moo-moo covered in a poncho. No one, no one is saying that. No one, I'm not saying that. Okay? I would say dress cute. Be fashionable. Be stylish. Your husband will appreciate it. But be discerning. Be careful. Be cautious. Put God first in how, in how you dress. So this excellent wife, she displays Christ-like character in her modesty. She displays it through her works. Remember, she works willingly. She worships God serves her family, serves or helps her husband, and she also displays her Christ-like character through her words. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She uses good words, kind words, encouraging words. She does not use her word for gossip or sarcasm or to mock or to tear down or to belittle or to condescend. She uses words, grace and truth. She speaks the truth. She's honest. She speaks fact, but she does it with grace and with kindness. She uplifts. So wives know this, you know, there's nothing on the planet bigger than a male ego. There's also nothing more fragile. And there's nothing that can pierce a man's ego, ego faster than the cutting words of his wife. Nothing. Nothing can tear a man down more than jabs, unloving jabs from his wife. By the same token, nothing can fuel a man more and more than the kind, loving, truthful words of his wife. I use this example all the time. Forgive me that I use it all the time, but I love this example. It's Rocky too. It's Rocky too. Here, here, Rocky, he signed up to fight Apollo Creed again. He got worked in that first, in that first match. The dude, he about lost his eye. It did not go well. He signs up to fight again. Adrian, his wife, is pregnant. She is adamantly opposed to him fighting Apollo Creed. And she tells him, you're going to get beat. You're going to get hurt. She's telling him, you're going to get whooped. She's telling her husband, you're going to get whooped. And so he signed up, so he starts training, but his heart isn't in the training. And his trainer, Mickey, you can't imagine someone more motivating than Mickey. Mickey can't get him to do anything. Can't do anything. Come on, Rocky. Eat lightning and more. Like, like it's just, but he, his heart's not in it because his wife is not in his corner. And she has the baby, and she goes into a coma. And, and Rocky just sits by her side until she comes out of this coma. And they're talking and Rocky says, if you don't want me to fight Apollo, I won't fight him. And she smiles and says, come here. And he leans in and she looks at him and goes, win. 
win. I tell you, the bells chime. Mickey says, what are we waiting for? And, and the, the Rocky montage begins. The Rocky theme music begins. And he goes out and he becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. Why? Because the, his wife affirmed him, encouraged him. She said, I'm with you. You can do this. Ladies, there's nothing that will put wind in your husband's sails more than your affirming, kind, and gracious words. So a real-life Christian wife is valuable because she is clothed with true beauty. She displays Christ-like character through her modesty, through her words, and through her works. Last one, what makes a real-life Christian wife so valuable? Number five, she aids the needy. Look at verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So she, it's not that she only cares for her immediate family. She cares for people around her who are struggling. The neighbor next door, the people across the street, the people on the other side of the town, other people on the other side of the planet. She sees suffering and, and she doesn't say, oh, bless their heart. No, she reaches out to bless their heart. She is the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. A real life Christian wife is valuable because she aids the poor and the needy. You know that the picture in Proverbs is ultimately a portrait of a servant. It's what it is. This is a woman who serves God. She serves her husband. She serves her family. She serves the world. This is a, a woman who serves through her character, through her works, through her words, through her modesty, through her example. She serves sacrificially, lovingly, unselfishly. Who does that sound like? This is a picture of Jesus. It's a very example of what godliness looks like in its perfect form. Jesus was the ultimate servant. You know, he is God himself, God the Son, and he left the comforts and the bliss of heaven, and he came into this dark and dreary, cold, mean world, and he did so not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to sacrifice himself for your good. He came to go to a cross where your guilt and your shame are placed upon him, and he paid that price that you may be forgiven and have eternal life. So sisters, when your life is formed by the Savior, when your life is formed by the Savior who served you, you will find yourself living a life of a servant. When your life is rooted in Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for you, you will find in your life that you begin to sacrifice for others. When your life is transformed by the very love of God, you will find yourself loving God and loving your husband and loving your family and loving the world. The gospel changes you into a servant like Christ. Like Jesus. As I said at the beginning, ladies, you are valuable. You're utterly precious. You are a rare 
treasure, more valuable than anything that this world can produce. You're made in the image of God, and God profoundly and deeply loves you. So much so that he sent his only son to give his life on a cross. The father sent the son to a crucifixion for your good. To take all of your sin and your guilt and your shame and your shortcomings, to take it off of your shoulders and place it upon him. And there God delighted in pouring out wrath on Jesus. He took it out on Jesus that you may be spared. That is how valuable and precious you are to God. And Jesus so loves you that he willingly went to that cross. He willingly endured shame and mocking and torture, crucifixion and death. He poured it all out to spare you, to spare you. That's love. So I ask, have you received that? Have you embraced that sacrifice? Have you given your life over to Christ and to the gospel? It is not possible to be the excellent wife unless you first yield to the excellent groom, to the Savior Jesus Christ and to the love of God found in the gospel. And if you take that step, if you actually take that step and embrace the, the life that God is calling you into, then you are freed to experience the excellent life as an excellent wife, worshiping God, helping your husband, working willingly with a servant's heart for the good of your home, displaying true beauty, Christ-likeness, and being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, helping the poor and the needy and the suffering. In other words, if you take that step, you become like Jesus. Isn't that not beautiful? So ladies, are you encouraged? Are you inspired? Are you compelled to, to grow in this picture that God has given to you this morning. You know, I hope that we would have a church filled with ladies who get together and who have buddy together and do women's ministry, ladies' ministry together and have coffee with one another specifically. Stir, how do we make this real in our life and to help each other, mentor each other toward that? Help each other, ladies. There, you can speak things into your lives that us guys simply can't, don't know anything of. Lean on one another. Be sisters to one another. Husbands, now you know how to pray for your wife. Number two, now you know how to lead your wife. And what I mean by that is help your bride to become this woman. Disciple her shepherd her heart lead her may she become a picture of proverbs 31 because of the work that god does through you in her life not in spite of you but through you husbands pray for your wives lead your wives help them to be the helper that god created them to be i'm going to ask all of you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and for you to respond however you need to to what it is that's been discussed this morning. If you've never received the gospel, if you've never embraced your salvation in Christ, you can do that right now. Where you're sitting, you can do that right now. Just, 
say, Lord, I, I admit it, I confess it, I, I've, I've sinned and, and I need you. I throw myself at the feet of Jesus and the cross and I, I embrace this gospel of grace, Lord. I, I want a new life. I want the new life and forgiveness that you so, so freely offer, Lord. I give my life to you. That may be where you are today. You know, ladies, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, in what, which of these areas do you need to just bring before the Lord? And ask for his help and ask for his grace that you would grow as a worshiper, as a helper, as a willing worker, as someone who displays character, real character, someone who helps neighbor and friend in the world. Ask for God's help that you would become this woman, that you would reflect Jesus, that you would embody godliness and its fullness in your life. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to pray where you are, and the praise team will lead us on the closing song. Father, you are a wonderful and gracious God and you have provided for us that we may know you through the gift of your son and the sacrifice on the cross and through the empty tomb. You give grace and love and mercy and compassion to us freely and abundantly. And I ask, Lord, that all of us in this room, that we would embrace that, that we would be motivated, inspired, and fueled, Lord, by your kindness to turn in repentance to turn to you to embrace the cross and the life that comes as a result there will be people who reflect jesus in our lives lord wives who serve husbands who love lord in our everything may we radiate your goodness lord be our all be our everything in jesus name Amen. Let's stand and sing.